Welcome to In Conversation with Our Food Future, the podcast series that's following the creation of Canada's first circular food economy here in Guelph, Wellington. I'm Barbara Swartzentuber, Executive Director of the Smart Cities Office and host of this podcast series. On today's show, we're exploring biomimicry as it relates to the creation of a circular food system and circular businesses. So let's pull our chairs around the kitchen table and get the conversation started. My guest today is Jamie Miller, the founder of the Biomimicry Commons Incubator and Education Space, which Fast Company named a 2019 world-changing idea. Jamie is also the director of biomimicry at B&H Architects and holds a PhD in engineering, which focused on urban resilience and system level biomimicry application. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you so much. Um, So I'm really looking forward to this conversation today about your work and about biomimicry in general. And I'm I'm thinking, you know, we're just uh, uh, at the end of COP26 and there's definitely the world is got a heightened awareness of the impact of climate change and the impact on biodiversity and the need to really think about Uh, you know, the ways in which we can live more lightly in the world and in our environment. But I think people are also really looking for for ways that they can contribute and ideas that can help them think a little bit more differently about their work and about their life and and how they go about things. And um, I'm, I'm thinking that your work in biomimicry has a lot to say about these ideas and concept. And it's really, a, you know, it's kind of a game-changing, uh, worldview-challenging kind of concept. So I, I thought we should just start with um, you sharing a little bit about biomimicry in general, but also why you got interested and what it means to you. Yeah, thanks. Um, In a definition, if you've never heard of it, biomimicry is innovation that's inspired by nature. And the most classic example is Velcro. When a Swiss engineer finally got fed up with burrs sticking to his pants, he took that burr under a microscope to copy that hooking mechanism to make Velcro. So it's about recognizing nature as a design genius, that for billions of years, it's been evolving strategies for how to thrive on this planet. And um, that includes form-based biomimicry, so copying, you know, the shapes in nature, recognizing that the shapes in nature do incredible functions like hooking, like packaging, um, like um, uh, form-based designs, um, but also the deeper principles of nature. So emulating the how nature manufactures and more importantly, how nature creates systems that are resilient to change. So... What got me excited about this concept was actually back in 2004 when I was studying engineering at Queen's University and happened upon an elective called Math and Poetry. (laughs) And in this course, we explored both math theorems and poems. They weren't connected as I thought they would be, but um, the professors had us kind of explore these things as if we were discovering them for the first time. And one math theorem that really caught my attention was this Fibonacci sequence. And the professor kind of had had us walk through this sequence and had us 
recognize where we've seen this pattern before. And he showed us that this spiral that we created, that we, we found was ubiquitous in nature, that it's the same spiral in the packaging of sunflower seeds, the same spiral you see in a pine cone, the same spiral you see when you pull your plug in your bathtub, um, or even in your skin pores, your ear, the way that the universe is expanding. It was all kind of described by this math sequence. And for whatever reason, it was at that moment where I just realized that there was another way of looking at design or that, that there was another teacher of design. And ever since that moment, I've been on a semi-obsessed course to finding these design secrets from the natural world to create more sustainable solutions for, for our own species. It's really interesting what you said about um, uh, how nature has responded to life on this planet and what we can learn from that. And, you know, the work that we're doing in the circular economy, which you've been a, a big part of, is really um, about thinking about redesign and design differently. I, mm -hmm. The system that we've created for designing so many things in our life from, you know, businesses to even even our patterns of daily living are really designed from a linear kind of think, uh -huh. make, and waste um, economy. And um, there's so much that we can learn uh, from from how nature does things. Um, what what do you think uh, we can learn from the perspective of you said the word innovation, and I, I want to get into business innovation. But what about social innovation first? You know. Oh how people live, how we, how we, uh, how we uh, live within neighborhoods and how we live within communities. What, what does biomimicry have to contribute to mm. that uh, conversation? Yeah, first off, the beauty of biomimicry is that it works in every discipline. Um, you can find design secrets for industrial design, environmental design, social planning, communities, um, politics. Um, but what I want to do is kind of um, take a step back and, and recognize kind of how we got in the situation that we're in. In resilience literature, they're calling the problems that we're facing today wicked problems. Mm. And they're wicked because they have no precedent for how to solve them. They're, they're new to us as a species, and so they're very difficult. There's higher uncertainty, greater stakes, um, greater urgency, and a lot more diverse perspectives interacting with them. And climate change is the ultimate wicked problem, if I could say it that way. Mm. But um, what I studied in my research was, how did we get to this place? How are we such a different species, even though we are natural? What happened to us? And one of the big things I, I, I saw was that as humans, we have the ability to make choices and we use kind of assumptions and ideas uh, to help us make sense of this complex, crazy world. And some of the ideas that we, we, we leveraged, you know, 400 years ago, like Newtonian science, really helped us thrive and excel as a species. We figured out how to take apart nature and almost separate it and, mm -hmm. and put it back into places and ways that were more, um, that were better contributions to what we were trying to do. And we've just evolved with that paradigm over hundreds yeah. of years. And that evolution has created a, a deep separation between us and nature. And now we're starting to see the consequences of those earlier paradigms. And what I say to a lot of my students is, I, I don't say that those ideas are wrong. Um, I think it's important not to look at the past and say that we've, we've failed. It's just things have evolved to the point where there's more of us all embedded in this way of thinking. 
and it doesn't work in harmony with nature. And so to answer your question, this is what I think the beauty of biomimicry is, is that it's a fundamental mindset shift. Mm. It's about recognizing new principles for how to understand nature and our, our place in nature. And um, that's why I think um, like its contribution to, to social entrepreneurship and, and social innovation is, is all about reflecting those new principles, those new kind of design standards or design thinking ideas um, and bringing them into whatever it is that you want to do. Um, that's where we're going to see the biggest change. And I will say, though, this is coming from a Western white um, perspective. Mm -hmm. We have an Indigenous elder on our board. And when I told her what we do or what I do, she said, well, I've been doing biomimicry for thousands of years. And so mm -hmm. I think it's important to recognize that um, when I'm talking about Newtonian science or this material paradigm, these, these paradigms that we've grown up with, um, I'm talking about the dominant culture, but there are cultures that exist that espouse biomimicry like design thinking and, and paradigms and approaches. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I think what you're saying is the way that we've lived, we've been living has become dysfunctional and it's become dysfunctional because we're separated from we're not just separated from nature we're really doing a number on nature uh -huh. in the way that we organize ourselves um but i think also it's also created isolation for people and uh -huh. it's created structural inequities and and one of the projects i know that you're involved in that we've we've been supporting through our food future project is the work in the junction neighborhood can you can you tell us a little bit about that and how um, how biomimicry plays a role in mm -hmm. how you think about the work that's happening within the Junction neighborhood? Mm -hmm. So the Junction neighborhood project, we're exploring ways of um, distributing and growing food at a much more local level. And the way biomimicry plays into it is. Um, one, it's about kind of disrupting top-down governance. In nature, you can see that systems all have semi-autonomous behaviors. Like a, a beetle can do whatever it wants within the mm -hmm. confines of that system. Um, it's not being told by the trees or the lions necessarily what it needs to do. And so there's a bottom-up approach. And when you do that bottom-up approach, you get much more um, unique and creative interactions between organisms. And so that's one of the ways that we're using systems-based biomimicry or biomimicry-based thinking to, to explore this project is how can we look at patches within the city and we call it um, a, a city of villages. So each village uh, or patch kind of represents a unique set of circumstances, you know, unique pe people, unique uh, ecosystems, uh, unique resources. And what we're trying to do is leverage that uniqueness. So we're trying to encourage people to share food um, at a local level, but not just share food, learn what other people are, are growing so that we're not all growing cherry tomatoes, for example. Why would you do all the same thing? When we start to build these connections and these relationships, we can realize Amy's got chickens and she has way too many eggs. So why not share those eggs with somebody who doesn't have eggs, but has a great backyard for vegetables or fruit? Um, and in doing this locally attuned design, what we're trying to do is create a more resilient food system. It means that we can leverage or we can depend on each other more than we depend on a centralized grocery system or the linear um, food production system that most of us depend on. 
Um, and this was such a big part of our thinking during COVID when we started to see disruptions in this traditional food system. It's like, well, maybe we can't get everything from the grocery store anymore. How could we leverage this beautiful little village we've got here within the city um, and create connection? And to your point, reduce that isolation that we've, we've been feeling. Yeah, it's it's very true. And I think we learned a lot during COVID about the fragility of mm -hmm. the food supply chain. Um, and what you're talking about is building local resilience. It doesn't mean we're going to grow. It's not like a survival thing where we're going to grow mm -hmm. everything we need locally, but uh, we certainly can improve our ability to care for each other and care for ourselves and feed ourselves um, a lot more than than we have been doing for sure. You, um, one of the other projects that you're involved in is that we've created a circular economy uh, accelerator program and uh, incubator program, and you've uh, contributed a module for businesses to learn more about biomimicry. Can you can you give us a couple of examples of the interesting sort of new business ideas that you've seen <clears throat> that come from a, a biomimicry design kind of thinking process? Um, and why it's so important for businesses when they're thinking about the circular economy to also have that that biomimicry design concept in in front of in front of uh, their, mm -hmm. their thinking. Yeah, I'll start by saying the beauty about biomimicry is that um, whatever problem that you're facing, and this is something we talk about in this in this module, we try to break it down to what is the function you're trying to achieve. And I'll give you a practical example. One of my favorite companies, uh, biomimicry companies, is called APEEL. And what they're trying to do is reduce food waste. And they thought, well, how does nature reduce food waste? And so when you take that function and you go to the natural world, you can start to see different strategies for nature. And the one that they really plugged in on was um, <laughs> they wanted to um, reduce food waste and they looked at food in nature and they recognized that that skin is a perfect kind of film or protective measure that, that um, allows that fruit to stay ripe over longer periods of time. Without it, it would dry up and, and degrade fairly quickly. So APL um, went and explored how to make and manufacture another skin for fruits. Um, and they did it using nature-based principles, which means that nature doesn't use toxic chemicals. It uses only the energy of the sun. Um, it's fully biodegradable. And so they've made this film for avocados and peaches and different fruits that is non-toxic, totally biodegradable, um, but improves the shelf life by a, a pretty significant amount. Each, each fruit has its own improvement metric. But um, I just think it's hilarious that they copied fruit skin to make a fruit skin that improves, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that, that improves uh, food life and food um, shelf life. That's true. That's very interesting. I um, the, the such an interesting. There's so many directions we could go in in this conversation, but I, um, I like to I like to end by talking to you a little bit about your personal experience, and I, I hear your passion about biomimicry. I try to ask all my guests um, to talk a little bit about a a meal or a family or a cultural tradition that are a connection to the land and mm. growing food that is particularly meaningful to you because 
I, I feel that the people that come to this work are certainly professionally passionate, but also personally passionate. You know, it feels like they almost have a calling to do this kind mm -hmm. of work and to be part of this collective. So is there is there a story about a meal or an experience uh, related to food that um, that you can share that tells us a little bit more about your connection to this kind of work? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that popped up was um, we have a family farm uh, that's been in the family for a couple hundred years. And um, my grandpa, who just passed away this year, uh, built a, a sugar shack and he's been making maple syrup for decades. Um, but that that is not necessarily a meal, but an activity that we would do every spring. Um, we go out to the to the maple um the maple forest and we tap trees and collect sap and we do it in a very traditional way. You know, we don't have the big tubes coming out. Um, it's, we tap it with our hands. We, we recognize um, the trees that we've tapped in the past and we do it in a, in a way that supports the, you know, supports the forest. And I think um, it's important because my family has a hilarious addiction to maple syrup. It's like, it's just, we'll drink it. We'll drink, <laughs> drink liters of it. Um, and, um, my two-year-old, we've just introduced him to maple syrup and that's one of his favorite words now, but, um, <laughs> every year we'd tap the trees as a family and we'd sit in his little sugar shack and we'd smell the smoke. He had a, an evaporator that used, that used wood that we would cut down and split and chop. And, um, honestly, it'll be a, a memory I'll really miss is just us sitting there listening to the radio, watching the sap burn and, and smelling that, um, beautiful syrup. But, um, and I'm happy to say that even though my grandpa's gone, I've got cousins that are taking over, uh, oh, continuing the tradition. Oh, that's that's a wonderful story. And thank you so much for talking with us today about your work. And thank you for being uh, a big and important part of our food future circular economy work. Uh, it's it's wonderful to work with you. Thanks. It's truly my pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. I'm Barb Schwartzentuber, Executive Director of the Smart Cities Office and host of In Conversation with Our Food Future. Thanks for joining me today. If you have ideas for a show or comments, you can email us at foodfuture@guelph.ca. Until next time, take care and let's keep the conversation going on foodfuture.ca.